Four Oaks East. Josh here with another edition of The Occasional. I hope you're doing well on this rainy Monday morning. We had kind of a tough day yesterday. Uh, we had some technical issues with the live stream, and that made what was already a less than ideal experience uh, even less than less ideal. Uh, truth is, guys, uh, I think you'll understand this. We're church folk. We're not multimedia content producers. Uh, but at the same time, we're, we're working hard to make uh, that Sunday morning stream a better experience for you. And I want to I thank uh, those of you who reached out uh, on Facebook or via text or email with encouragement to me and some of the other folks who were involved. You were super gracious, and I was reminded again just how grateful I am uh, to pastor a church that is encouraging and patient and gracious and kind. And one of the, one of the hard things about technical execution, uh, both in the gathered worship setting and in the streaming setting, is that nobody notices when things go well. I mean, that's the point, right? You want to be invisible. It's, you want it to be so good that no one notices it. But everybody knows, notices when something goes wrong. And so I thought it'd be great uh, as we're practicing rejoicing and practicing Thanksgiving in the days of coronavirus to, to thank a few people who have served and are continuing to serve with excellence in the realm of technology. Kyle Wiberly, uh, along with Josh Johnson and Johnny Boatwright, have done a great job mixing our audio uh, at Appalachia Elementary. And um, I'm hoping, Lord willing, we'll continue to do that as we're able to gather again in our new facility. Uh, and until the last month of sheltering in place, I think Ben Young has executed our visual media for almost every Sunday we've met as a church. He's a gift, grateful for my brother Ben. And Danny Brown has uh, put on his IT professional hat to troubleshoot some networking issues uh, many times, both at the school and in our current venue. And so now I'm grateful for these folks and the way that they work hard for the church. Thank you for serving well, for serving with faith. Uh, we recognize and appreciate you uh, for, for loving us and serving us well with your gifts. And so now if I could uh, abruptly and inelegantly transition to a devotional thought briefly, I want to address something that I read in my devotions this morning that Jesus says about sexual holiness in Matthew chapter 19. And just a quick note, if you're listening with kids around, you may want to save these last uh, few minutes for, for later when they're not around. I'm not going to say anything crazy and nothing that I wouldn't uh, say from the pulpit, but I did want to give you a heads up about that. In Matthew 19, Jesus is discoursing with the Pharisees, and the temperature of the dynamic between Jesus and the Pharisees has gotten pretty warm as uh, Jesus is getting nearer and nearer to the triumphal entry in Matthew 21 that's going to inaugurate the events that lead up to his death. And as Jesus is healing people in Judea, uh, the Pharisees come to him, and it says they came to test him. And they ask him uh, a question about divorce and remarriage, and it initiates this really complicated back and forth uh, that um, that takes place between Jesus and the Pharisees. And Jesus addresses uh, with the question the nature and the permanence of the Mosaic Law, and he concludes uh, that conversation in verse 9 with this simple but loaded statement that has been, to be honest, historically pretty difficult to interpret alongside the other texts in Scripture that speak to this issue. He says in verse 9, "...and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery." Now I'm going to I'm going to duck and not address that particular sticky wicket for the moment because I want to talk for a minute about what happens right after this conversation. Jesus leaves that conversation with the Pharisees and he has a sidebar with his disciples. His disciples are feeling the weight of what they've just heard Jesus say. And they say to him in response to that in verse 10, "If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry." But Jesus said to them, "Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given." For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. This is a, a breathtaking word 
in the age that Jesus is speaking into, but particularly in our age, our age of sexual liberation, or it might be better to say sexual libertinism. And I think it's really important for us to understand the point Jesus is making in a sober-minded way. In his book, This Is Our Time, Trevin Wax says that our culture's view of sex is that it's both everything and nothing. It's everything in that you absolutely must be able to have sex with whomever you want in order to be fulfilled, that that, uh, that ability is essential to your identity. But it also argues that sex is nothing. It's just body parts. It's just biological functionality. It's just pleasure. It's completely personal. It's arbitrary, and it's disposable. And both of those extremes are grievous distortions of God's design for our sexuality. Jesus is saying here that just as God creates a few people without fully functional sexuality in their bodies, and some people are pressed into that reality as their lived experience, this would be like officials who worked in a royal harem, uh, like the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. But God also gives grace to people who choose a life of celibacy for themselves in their desire to walk in holiness and obedience to Him. Jesus is saying that some of you will renounce marriage and the gift of sex for the sake of the kingdom. And when you put this together with the rest of Scripture's teaching on marriage and sex, the implication becomes very clear. There is only one alternative to biblical marriage, and that is celibacy. So biblical marriage is a lifelong covenantal monogamous union between one man and one woman, and the only alternative to that union is celibacy. Because sex isn't everything and it isn't nothing. It isn't nothing in that it is a significant gift that's been given for marriage. But sex isn't everything either. Jesus Christ was the most human individual who ever lived. No one lived a more full and fulfilled life than he did, and Jesus never had sex. And none of this is to downplay the significance of how difficult this can be, how difficult this road of holiness and obedience to God can be. But at the same time, it's very important to note what marriage is. Marriage is given to us as a signpost of the gospel. The significance of what it is comes from that to which it points. The deepest longings of our souls are never meant to be met in marriage. They're meant to be met in Christ. Jesus is better even than marriage and family. And when you come to him, he gives you a family, a real lasting community in the church that is given to you to keep you and to support you until the day that you and I, that we all, single and married, receive the ultimate fulfillment to which marriage and sexuality point when we are resurrected to everlasting joy in Christ. And so in light of this, I want to say a word to my single brothers and sisters in our church. We love you so much. We need you so much. And even as we hold marriage in honor, as Scripture says we are to do, we also want to honor your significance and your indispensability to our family. And in addition, we want to honor your desire and your choice and your commitment to walk the road of sexual holiness in a culture that has distorted the meaning of sex and is lying to you about what it is and what it's for at every turn. Jesus is better, and he loves you so much. And when you see him face to face, you will not have a single regret for any of the difficult obedience you offered him in these pilgrim days. So press on to make holiness your own, because Christ Jesus has made you his own. Let's all of us press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, as Paul says in Philippians 3. And may we all, single and married, adorn the gospel with our holy sexuality. Jesus loves you, and I do too. I hope you have a great day today. I hope you'll join us Wednesday night 
to pray. I just want to take a moment and pray for you before we conclude. Father, we confess that obedience is often difficult for us. We believe. Help us with our unbelief. We thank you that you know our frame. You remember that we're dust. And you give us your spirit. You give us your word. You give us your church to help us, help us to grow, and to help us to endure. So please bless our grace-motivated, grace-driven efforts to walk in holy obedience to you in every sphere of our lives. And may you be glorified in our bodies. We love you because you first loved us, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, Jesus loves you, and I do too. Hope you have a great day today. Hope you'll join us Wednesday night to pray. Peace be with you.